Well, welcome everybody from all over the world. Um, this is our second CoThink event. And this one, we are going to be looking at the issue of emerging Africa. Um, and in the next couple of hours, we've got um, three people that will be sharing about different aspects of what they see um, and what they've been kind of seeing from di the different perspectives and spheres or um, focuses that they have when they've been working in the continent. Um, just as a quick overview of why we're doing this, again, um, I've kind of communicated by email. This is very much about us as a community learning more and getting outside of our, our comfort zones, the boxes that we have, so we can be learning about geopolitical and larger issues that actually do ultimately come to affect each one of us. Um, and we, this is our second event. The first one was on migration and international migration. And then um, it's wonderful to have all of you guys showing up from all the listening. Um, so our first, our first person this evening is Congressman Mark Siljander. Um, he and his wife Nancy, they spoke at our conference in 2014. It was absolutely fantastic to have them and to hear their story and their journey, both in terms of what Mark does, but his also recent um, journey with the federal system. And um, it's actually really nice in some ways to be doing this, but also then to have 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 a have a chance as a community to reconnect in with Mark and just hear some of the stories from this last two or three years and and then kind of like look specifically at Africa. Um, I've actually not spoken to you, Mark, in a while now, but I've been tracking your more recent tri trips with Doug um, into Central African Republic and most recently Sudan. And so there are a number of us on the on the call, Mark, that that um, will remember you, but there's also quite a few new people that won't know who you are. So I wondered if, to start with, you could just give us a, a short background of who you are, your journey, um, if it's possible in a few minutes here to do that, I don't know, but to share with us a little bit about your, your background journey and how you've come to be doing what you're doing. Well, Chris, it's uh, really, I love you very much and follow you and your, what I would call critical leadership in investing in teaching us, all of us, how we can better present uh, Jesus in very complicated situations. And this is sort of a segue into my own story, sort of what you're anointed to do and gifted at doing. I was a, uh, as you mentioned, a politician for some years, local, state, federal, and found that politics in of itself doesn't really work. That's why especially in the United States, were so dysfunctional. But I think most political systems around the world ultimately are dysfunctional because unless there's the spirit and an encounter with a personal relationships, uh, politics, diplomacy, all these other factors that we typically apply in conflict resolution in society, in ordering society and such, they just don't seem to sustain themselves because they ultimately implode in some fashion. So I was looking for something different in my running for my fourth term in the US Congress. And I discovered I was a huge hypocrite in that I claimed to be a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and yet I was supplying arms to uh, rebel groups against communists because back then in my younger years, Communism was the big enemy. Now it's Islam or terrorism. Now, back then, it was communism. So we did everything we could to undermine communism. 
And I just felt that it wasn't working, it was killing people, and it was inconsistent with following Jesus, his teaching to love your neighbor, pray for those who persecute you. It seemed bizarre that I was so inculcated politically in a methodology that was aggressive, contrary to the teachings of Jesus, and it was devastating when that light bulb went on in my dull head. And when that happened, God showed me and revealed a, and I'll summarize here, approach that seems to consistently work to mitigate conflicts and crises over and over and over again, over almost two decades now. And it's the most exciting, fulfilling, but challenging uh, construct that the Lord has ever presented to me. So I don't need politics anymore in terms of being one, but we need to work within the political, diplomatic, governmental systems to make this methodology, if you will, continue to work. That's great, Mark. So um, for... For those, of the, for those of us that have tracks with your journey, um, in the last three or four years, you've, you've been getting busier and busier and busier and more and more doors are opening. Um, and it would be great if you could just give us a, a little bit of an overview in the last couple of years of what, what started to take traction, particularly with you to Central African Republic and Sudan. But I'm sure there's other things that I don't know about going on as well. So I'd, I'd also love to catch up on, on some of the other highlights. There's a group of us that are committed to this approach trying to love our enemies or our uh, other religions, faith, cultures, leaders of countries who may be bad people, including our own, and love them and see what the Holy Spirit does. Now, it sounds overly simplistic. I don't mean to sound religious either, because this is not religious. It's really a Jesus-centric approach to simply take what he said we should do. He said, if you love me and you follow me, and you're serious about me, then you'll do what I command. And he commanded us to love our enemies. So we tried, went to Central African Republic with a man that many of you know, Doug Fike, and we decided to love the transitional government leaders, who some of whom are corrupt. And then we began loving the Muslim militias, who were the leaders of which was, were murderers, they, they kill the Christians. And we met the Christian militias who are also murderers because they kill the Muslims. And Boko Haram was threatening on the horizon to bolster the minority Muslims in the Central African Republic if they, if they started losing the battle, which they were. So while Central African Republic, who cares about that country? Most people in America never heard of it. Bungie, the capital, would sound like some uh, Chinese food in their mind. <laughs> I mean, really, when I talk about Central African Republic, people in America, their face goes completely blank. Like, wow, where is that? Is that a region or is that, where is that? <laughs> so, but it's central to the region, indicative in its name. And moreover, with the threat of Boko Haram spreading, so all the five countries that touched Central African Republic were concerned, for, of course, about the encroachment of radicalism. 
So really, we really felt that this would be a pivotal country, even though it's not well known, in terms of thwarting the spread of radicalization, Islamic radicalization. And when we met with the militias, we do not insist they do anything but follow their own holy books. When we talk to the Muslims, we talk about how to love your neighbor based on the Quran. We talk to the Christians who claim to be Christians. We do the same from a biblical context. And you think, well, that sounds almost too simple. Well, it's slightly more complex, but that's a summary. And the results, Chris, were stunning of what happened. And so, and also you've, you've also done a recent trip in Sudan as well. That's also been one of the other big, big events of the last year, right? I think that's correct. Yeah. Well, yeah, just to, just to circle. So what happened in Central African Republic, without asking, the Christian militias, underline that word Christian, had kidnapped French hostages and were holding them in ransom for some of their leaders arrested by the UN forces attempting to maintain peace there. And because of the message and their own testimony, which is on our website, they insisted we recorded on Doug Fike's iPhone. <laughs> uh, they said it was as if God came down from heaven, the message. And we just talked about Jesus, not religious, not so much in the context of Christian, but Jesus of the scriptures, the Jewish Jesus. And they, the Holy Spirit just envelops the situation. And they release the hostages without us asking. Not only the two French hostages, but soon thereafter, one of their own uh, ministers was kidnapped to the transitional government. And then we went back a second time with Doug Fike for eight days, worked with 10 factions to sign a peace treaty. Our U.S. ambassador and I were sitting together during the negotiations, and he said, this will never work. He used a few vernaculars in between, and he walked out of the room. So we really prayed, and God opened up doors to engage the different factions quietly uh, in, in the spirit of Jesus, and all 10 factions signed a peace treaty. Now, there's still problems there, but this is why your people that are considering going to Africa, it's critical we have people on the ground because nations need to be discipled as much as people. You can, you can go stir up excitement, Holy Spirit comes in and get, you can be saved and so I turned on with God. But if you don't have, one doesn't have discipleship, it's country similarly in situations, it'll collapse and implode into the, when the fiery darts of the enemy come, where's the shield of protection? It's awesome stuff. It's really encouraging. And it was really cool to track the, the outcomes of, those, of that particular trip after the two trips you went. Um, so what, what we're doing tonight, Mark, is we're, as a community, we're looking at the future of Africa and asking the question. And, and I wondered if I could get you to start reflecting a little bit on um, your perspective of the changes that you've seen in Africa in the last um, 5, 10, 15 years, but also looking forward as, you, as you're particularly looking at this model and seeing the influence that that's having with um, with government leaders and with the different parties and political powers and factions that are going on in the region. What do you see as some of the, the, the main trends in the areas that you've been working in terms of, of what's coming down the line for, for the continent even? I see an interesting dichotomy in Africa, especially North versus Sub-Saharan. Uh, there is a 
and has been a significant movement of Jesus in sub-Saharan Africa. That was been going on for decades, as is, is in Asia and other places of the world. However, the north northern portion of Africa, bordering the Sahara Desert, there has not been much of a movement at all. There's been slim picking, so to speak, if you will, in terms of a Jesus-focused messianic movement. And all of a sudden, in the last 10 years, because I've been going to Africa, by the way, for 30 years, and been to almost every country, but maybe two or three, and like Sudan, as you alluded to earlier, 17 times at least. And we've noticed as we traveled last, just a few months ago to Sudan, to speak at a Horn of Africa Peace Conference, that there's a huge openness to Jesus that I did had not noticed in that portion of Africa in the past. There's not an openness to religion, so to speak, or Christianity. Now, some would say, well, what's the difference? Well, there may be no difference in the Western mind, but when you speak Christianity in North Africa and the Middle East, in their minds, they're thinking colonization, crusades, slave trading Europeans and Americans. And I'm not trying to denounce Christianity at all. I'm just saying that that terminology, that by the way, that word isn't in the Bible. Christian is, but not Christianity. So if we are careful in our nomenclature and how we share Jesus, just focused on him and his teachings, it's remarkable how hearts and minds immediately open up. And when we were in Sudan, as I mentioned a few months ago, as an example, we were praying with the government officials as we did in Central Africa. We don't tell them, oh, by the way, there are three pastors in prison One's from Europe to our Sudanese, please let them go. See, that's what every person, every congressman, every uh, one who from the West, particularly that engages Sudanese, that's the first thing they talk about. So rather than doing what everyone else does, <laughs> Jesus never did what everyone else did. He shocked and surprised people. So he just did what he said, loved them and befriended them and laughed and got to know them and ate hummus and, and talked in, about the Quran and, and Jesus and, the, and how the Quran, in our view, reflects significant elements of the power of Jesus being the word of God, the spirit of God, could heal the sick, the blind. He's a life giver. He could raise the dead. He's a life giver. He could uh, take clay birds with this her breath and create living birds. I mean, who in the world can do that? They say, well, it's with the leave or authority of God. I say, well, you're right. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. So he can give life to inanimate objects or dead people. And, you know, so when we talk like this, they, the Holy Spirit has an opens a door for the Spirit to work, do all the heavy lifting. And before you know it, they'll say, you know, I know that your people, your Christians, in other words, you, you your Christians are concerned about this pastor in prison, we're going to let him go because of our relationship. They, they bring it up. We don't have to say anything. This is, the, this is the very exciting part of it. I said, oh, that'd be tremendous. So we celebrate and have a meal together. And the day we left, Doug Fike and I left, they released this pastor, but they're from Europe who went home. He has no idea how he got out. And then there were two left. And a few weeks later, after a couple of congressmen back in the States held a news conference together, and I pled with him not to 
threaten the regime to release the other two, thank them for releasing the one and leave it at that. They said, well, our instincts say we need to go after him. I said, well, your instincts are inconsistent with Jesus. <laughs> and they're both, you know, believer members. They said, all right, we'll try it because you've got a good track record. We don't. I don't mean that egotistically. I mean the Holy Spirit has a great track record. And they did it. And within weeks, the other two pastors were released, the indigenous Sudanese. So I hope this gives you an inkling and your uh, people an inkling of what we do, how we do it. And we wait for the Lord to open up the door. We didn't just decide to go to Sudan. An NGO and a congressman asked, we hear you're getting people out of prison and hostages released. Can you work in Sudan? And I said, yes, but you have to do the following, you know, raise our funds for expenses and so forth. And they did. So we went and the Holy Spirit opened the door and it works. So, 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 with, so with that, Mark, um, obviously you've got a, a journey and a, you know, clearly all of those foundations have been laid in your story by Jesus, even just in terms of like, you know, how to carry yourself in those types of meetings, you, you've got the training, you've had this incredible background. For us as, um, you know, people that don't come from that similar type of background, what, what opportunities do you, do you see, particularly in North Africa, um, for, for Jesus followers that don't necessarily, you know, have that background, but can still get engaged and get involved? What opportunities do you see? That's an excellent question. This leads to responding to your main question, which I kind of, well, I'm sorry, I went on a tangent on a story, but what's the dynamic, what's happening in North Africa, this interest in Jesus, there is a messianic movement throughout the continent, including sub-Saharan Africa, and it's amongst Muslims. Now, I know I'm focusing on Muslims for two reasons. One, uh, there's they're the second biggest faith in the world. Secondly, they're the greatest, certain elements are the greatest threat to, our, to the Western world and our way of life. So those are the two motivating reasons to sort of focus on Islam and God just put on my heart anyway. That's not my reason, but that's a good reason for others to be thinking about it because our whole world is consumed with terrorism, protecting. I was in Brussels, Belgium, speaking at the uh, European Union just after the terrorist incident in Brussels and the, and the city was still in lockdown. People were completely consumed with it. So when the, the chambers were completely full with standing room only, and it wasn't because my colleagues and I were there. <laughs> it was because they're so fearful and they'd have no idea what to do about it. Anyone who suggests, even in the stretch, remotest stretch of the imagination, would have a, an answer for this perplexing dilemma that the Western world does not know how to handle what to do with it. They just filled the room because they were, they were all desperate for an answer. And people can, we can be coy and use the cliche, well, Jesus is the answer, which is true. But this, I'm backing into your question. How is Jesus the answer? That's what we need to know. That's a nice statement. We agree with it. But how is Jesus the answer? The answer, you, what you're doing, and your listeners, I can't see them, is much more important, honestly, than what Doug Fike and I are doing 
with presidents and leaders and getting people out of prison. Those are, and, and peace treaties are nice because that includes a larger group. But the real answer to the stridency of radicalization is, is Jesus. So, but how does that work? Well, it's already working. See, this is the point. It's already happening by the Holy Spirit in significant ways all over Africa, east, mid, central, south, north. It's happening. So the question that I believe we, you know, all of us who work in this context, what role can we play in helping empower what the Holy Spirit is already doing? So what's the difference of the, you ask, of the last 10 or 20 years? This is the difference. There was only a Christian conversion movement amongst Catholics or animists in Africa. Now there's a messianic Jesus movement that doesn't necessarily call itself Christian, and it doesn't use constructs like conversion of religion, but conversion of the heart and the mind. You understand what I mean? Converting the heart to the, to the life giver Jesus as Messiah versus I'm going to denounce my culture, my community, my family, and join a religion called Christianity. If this is the secret, in my view, tactically, of empowering and encouraging this significant movement already happening all over Africa, and it could be further bolstered and fueled, this exciting fire of the Holy Spirit could be fueled by the people that are listening today, because you're working as practitioners on the ground. I kind of fly in with Doug Fike and maybe a, a couple of politicians from Europe or the United States or Africa. We make a swirl, make speeches, get some people out of prison, sign peace, and then we go back home. You are there. You, many of you live there, work there, eat there, love the people there. You are the practitioners and you're the hope. And I honestly mean this. You are the hope for the future of Africa and other places in the world, but we're focused on Africa at your request. How do we empower and fuel this movement? And this is the critical question I would be asking each other. How can we best without being constrained and incarcerated with Christian culture to release the power of the Spirit in an honest way with integrity and faithfulness. You are very good with words, Mark. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, right. So what I'm going to do, guys, for all of you listening, is that if you want to type a question for Mark, go ahead and type it in the in the chat for everyone. We've got about 15 minutes left before Mark has to go. How do we get ready for that? You just articulate, ah. you've, you've articulately said like, here, here, here's the what can be done, but as, as a group, if we were to like prepare for that, what, what would that look like? How would we get ready? Well, I'll answer you the same way. I've got a, a few uh, national security advisors in Africa, not the United States at this moment, asking for help how to, Toward radicalization, and one of the key components is in this process of this these movements 
practitioners need tools. We have, for example, this is very important. In East Africa, I don't want to get into names. There's a young man who's Muslim, who's engaged in Tanzania, Uganda, Kenya, and now it's, this movement's creeping into Rwanda. He sits in mosques teaching about Jesus, loving Jesus. He, and he's a Muslim who's totally sold out to Jesus. But we interview him and have a private video. I, we don't want to put it public for obvious reasons. But he's begging. He said, we need, I don't know, I need to teach people. I don't know exactly how to do it. I had a vision of Jesus and receive him. But, and I have Christians telling me, but I need a way of teaching Muslims that they can understand. So our NGO bridges, I'm not trying to do a, uh, a promotion, but we are putting together a toolkit. Okay. Please, please, please promote Bridges. Take, take a moment and promote. All right, but I'm, not, I'm trying to promote not so much Bridges, but the, the work. We've right. taken all these ideas and these experiences, not just of mine, but of a larger group, and created a 60-lesson, simple web-based or PDF, how to engage each other, whether they're Muslim or Christian or just Christian, just Muslims, Everything from diet culture, does a man shake a woman's hand, to is Jesus son of God? I mean, I know it's a big swath of, of, uh, of culture and theology, but these all are critical. It's, listen, I've been to so many interfaith groups, and none of them, zero, ever deal with the real issues or the elephant, as we say in the United States, in the room. What is the elephant? The elephant is Jesus. Well, you say, well, Muslims love Jesus. Yes, but he's not son of God. He wasn't crucified. You know, he's uh, the Trinity. What about that? And what about salvation, atonement? These, these issues are forbidden. I've been literally all over the world. I spoke at a conference at the UN in Geneva just weeks ago or maybe a month ago. And I was on a panel, I wasn't by myself, and they all gave these academics very, it was a Muslim-Christian convergence about the, not one world religion, but in their mind, how we can common ground. That's their fancy way of call, saying common ground. I told them, don't use that word. In America, we think it's like you're trying to create one religion. And anyway, so everyone gave their paper. And when it came to me, I was the sixth speaker, I really felt the Holy Spirit not to read my paper. Like I could tell the countries, you know, out, out in, the, in the delegations, half of them had left. They were kind of bored. So I said, we need to shake it up. So it was a risk. But I said, hey, no one's paying me to be here. So <laughs> it was a risk. And said, we have to deal with the forbidden issues. We have to be courageous enough to go where no person has gone before because what we've done isn't working. Hello, it's not working. And since it's not working, we, the obvious reason is part of the radicalization process. And the resistance to Jesus are the following issues. So I mentioned Trinity, Son of God, divine nature of Jesus, is Allah the God of the Bible, all these different provocative issues. And every single person for sure looked up that weren't paying attention. And because no one would dare say this. Well, here's the upshot. The hosting 
NGO in Geneva and the UN and several countries are planning a global conference to deal with these very issues next year in Geneva. So this was, in my view, a significant uh, breakthrough in a very high level of thinking. So once we're permeating that level, what we need you to do at your level is the most critical part because what we want to do is not deflate uh, what's happening in all over the Muslim world and Christian world. As a, By the way, I think there's an awakening in Christianity, but that's another discussion. We don't want, we want to have the upper level academics and governmental leaders uh, persuaded this is a good thing not to engage in uh, deleterious and totalitarian tactics to shut it down when, when it's exposed. So, we so what you're doing, and I'll just say one more time and shut up, what you're doing is so vastly important. I mean this with the greatest sincerity in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, that you and your comrades will be the sparks. It just takes a spark. And there's already sparks. So please, use the tools we have. Let's work together in developing additional tools because this man is now teaching in Moss using our toolkit, using uh, deadly misunderstanding. We've uh, translated a Quran into modern English with 3,000 Bible verses actually written out as footnotes. And I'll conclude this thought with my Christian friends say, how dare you spend your time with the book of the devil, like the Quran? said, well, which part of this book is of the devil? Because 42% of the words are Bible verses. Well, that part, they say, is not of the devil. I said, but listen, 1,400 years, or effectively three or 400, we've been trying to get Muslims to read the Bible, and they won't, for the most part. And for the most part, they will not. But now we're giving them a tool for Christians and Muslims. They can read verses, see the similar verses in the Bible as footnotes, written out, easy to read. They don't have to look anything up, easy language. And finally, they're going to see that the Bible and the Quran is not that different. And that in and of itself starts opening hearts and doors and opportunities. So, so what, what, what do you, one of the questions that came here that I want to ask on the back of that, what, what would you see as the biggest threat to this process that you're talking about? Yeah, the biggest threat happened in Bangladesh. There's even Pew Research, who are, they're secular, as you know, they estimated, this was 11 years, 12 years ago, that there were 5 million Messianic believers in Bangladesh, or probably triple, quadruple that by now. But the Christians fighting the uh, Muslim believers, saying, no, you have to be Christians, outed at least a dozen leaders, and they were all murdered. Believers murdered because of Christians fighting each other uh, over what they call themselves, for goodness sakes. So this is the greatest threat. The greatest threat is Christians coming in insisting on Western-style Christianity be em employed in uh, Sudan or uh, Central African Republic, where it's foreign to them, that would, would deflate the movement and cause potential for unnecessary martyrdom. 
What do you think are some of the Christian trappings that you think would be important for us to recognize and avoid falling into when working with these people? That's a great question. And part of the toolkit goes through those. I'm not, believe me, I'm not against, I use those terms Sunday morning with my kids. But when we're sharing Jesus, I would avoid idea of conversion, Christian, Christianity, throw that out. Don't use the word Trinity unless you're trying to explain it because the word Trinity is not in the Bible. I'm not against the Trinity. I'm just saying that that word is not biblical. So let's just talk about what's in the Quran, for example, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, Messiah, and God. I mean, that's a good start, right? <laughs> Without having used a Western term that inflates people immediately. And if our hearts are really, this is the critical, where are our hearts? Not where our minds are so much. Is in your heart, do you want this Muslim or animist or whomever, atheist, do you want them to convert to your uh, denomination? Is that really your goal? Is your goal really to make them into a Western Christian? If so, I'd encourage you to go somewhere else in the world. Not because you're wrong necessarily, but that tactic has been deployed for 1400 years and it hasn't really worked very well. And Einstein says you keep repeating something, expecting a different outcome. I think Christians, too many of us are insane because we keep trying, hoping for a different outcome. We have another question coming here, Mark, that's a little bit different, um, asking more about the role of the Chinese. And just, you know, we've got a number of people that are working in China. And also we hear a lot from, from our side that a lot of Chinese people are going off into, into, into Africa, into these countries, and actually having access in ways that, that and sometimes we don't. Um, so I'm just kind of curious about your perspective on that and what you see in the places you've been to and, and, and the influence that the Chinese are having on the continent. Well, I've been been to China many times and did a dissertation on Taiwanese businesses uh, merging with U.S. companies with immigration components. So I I have a heart, really a heart for Asia and China. I know I talk a lot about Africa, the Middle East, but really I have, <laughs> have a deep heart for Asia nonetheless. Uh, and but here's what I would I would in my experience, which is not as nowhere near as extensive as yours, the Chinese, besides being abundant in numbers, are so enthusiastic. And they're much less subject to suspicion as missionaries themselves, as Jesus people all over the world. No one, very few Africans or others expect a Chinese or an Asian person to be a missionary. It's very odd. There are a few in, in Afghanistan, two of whom were killed from South Korea, and the rest were miraculously delivered by the Holy Spirit. That's something Bridges was involved in back uh, in 2008. But nonetheless, Chinese can play a significant role, especially if we can teach them. They're already, as I said, kind of, uh, you know, they're already, they're already in a position where they won't enlist suspicion and if they could add to it the knowledge and understanding, even with their own people, of not converting or using Western Christianity, I think they could be much more effective even than they are now. And again, I want to reify, I'm not against Christianity. I'm a Western person myself, 
but I just have seen it for 30 years. It just doesn't work so well outside of our own little sphere. And frankly, it's not working that effectively even in Europe. So um, what's, let, let me just, we're getting to the end of our time here with you. Um, I'd, I'd just like to ask, what's, what's, on the, what's on the horizon for you now moving forward? What are some of the things that we can be thinking about and praying for you and for, and for Bridges as, as whatever's coming next? Well, thank you for asking. We've been invited to go to Nigeria, uh, South Sudan, where there's a potential famine of 5 million people instigated intentionally by so-called Christians killing and massacring each other. Can you imagine that? We hate North Sudan because of their uh, Islamic uh, views, yet Christians are slaughtering each other vastly more than the Muslims have done to each other even in Darfur. It's sad. So we're looking at going there as well. Uh, and they've asked us to try to help defuse the regional problems in Qatar. And we're working also, uh, this is more quiet. In Nigeria, there's a Shiite cleric we're attempting to get out of prison. We, it's been all Christians so far. And my Muslim friends, we get all these Christians out. What about some of us? <laughs> so we're working with an Ayatollah in Iran. And I don't want to say too much, but... Let's just say if it works out, and the Iranians who are desperate to get this person out know that, that opens significant doors, shall we say, for engagement uh, in Shiite areas, Iran, Iraq, Bahrain, that heretofore have been very difficult. So, and plus, I'm writing a second book that's finished. I just have to edit it now called At War With Peace. And there's also a documentary separate from Bridges being done about Bridges and our work. And the documentarian came to Sudan our last trip. He told me, I don't really believe you. He was, yeah, I appreciate his candor. He said, I don't believe that you really do all these things. I said, I don't. And I honestly mean it's just the Holy Spirit. I'm just kind of like the, the male person who delivers a message. I didn't write it, didn't seal it, didn't address it, just delivering it. He said, well, you know what I mean. He said, well, just well, let's see what happens. So it was a risk. Well, it was a spectacular trip, as Doug Fike would say. You know, the, as I told you earlier, prisoners released. Spe we're speaking to a all-girls Muslim university. Most of them had burqas on. And we talked about Jesus the whole time. He, he recorded. He was shocked. He said, how can you go into Sudan, Khartoum, talk to women with burqas on in a conservative college and then they all want to do selfies at the end it was <laughs> it was rather interesting so that documentary could be helpful in this potentially so be please be praying about that and there's so much more to talk about i don't have time but uh we're working on our toolkit we want to get those 60 lessons finished and we could use anyone that's listening's help input expertise we need practitioners to say this part won't work. We need, we have a thousand people right now and a beta team reviewing the toolkit. We could use your people. It doesn't cost anything. Just go on the bridgesnow.com, sign up for the toolkit, and we need your feedback, you know, because your experience, we're theoretical and have some experience at some level, but to me, you're the heroes of the faith. 
Well, thank you very, very much, Mark, for your time. I know that you've got somewhere to be going and need to be there at nine, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to catch us up and really, honestly, we, we love you. We love what you're doing. We're for you and we're thinking for you and praying for you very much and love the stories and just keep praying for these amazing things that you're involved in to continue unfolding. So thank you very, very much for your time. Well, Chris, I love you guys and thankful to what the important work you're doing. And you are definitely my, one of my great heroes, living heroes of the faith, for sure. And thanks for the opportunity. I'm sorry it's in a dark car in a parking lot <laughs> in North Carolina. <laughs> but this is the best I could do under extraordinary circumstances. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We love you guys. Thanks so much for the yeah. honor of being with you. Give our love to Nancy, and um, I hope it goes well for the rest of this morning. Thank you so much, brother. Bye. Right. Nice Thank meeting you. Bye-bye now.